I want us to look at Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 10 through 20. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. The Apostle Paul is starting to wind up this little letter. called January Bible study. Some of you may remember that in which uh, the church would uh, set aside a Sunday night through a Wednesday night and we would focus on one particular book of the Bible. Matter of fact, I think I did that twice at this church. It was the First Baptist Church in Wortham, not too far from Mahaya, or as the old timers called it, Mahar. Anyway, but it was, uh, uh, whenever I did go there and do that, I would stay at the house of one of the deacons. His name was Dan Moore. <clears throat> and uh, anyway, he was telling me that one time, that years earlier, they had a pastor that evidently was at the house of one of the deacons, and some way or another, he got to see inside the deacon's refrigerator, and he saw some ice-cold Budweiser in there, and uh, he didn't like that. And so he launched off on a series of sermons titled, beer in the deacon's icebox. And he held forth on that for a few Sundays, Dan told me. There was one of the old deacons in the church that, you know, at the end of every service, he was in full agreement with the pastor. And he liked it that he was attacking this deacon for having some cold ones in the icebox. Until one Sunday, the pastor quit preaching about alcohol and he began preaching about snuff dipping. And as the old man walked out, he said, that preacher's gone on to meddling now. <laughs> well, anyway, well, for many people, uh, sermons that deal with money and offerings and tithing are nothing but meddling. I kid you not, God knows I'm telling the truth. I remember one church where I served as a pastor and I announced that the sermon was going to have to do with tithing and before the sermon started, one man got up and walked out and left. He really left poorer than he was whenever he showed up, if you want to know what I think, but anyway. And there was another time and whenever I was pastor in Mount Enterprise and there was, you know, a young family visiting and of course, you know, we, we were taking up a mission offering, which was an emphasis that we were going to do for a few Sundays. We were also going to take up a regular offering, and so we mentioned that too. And then at the end of the service, there was a special need that had come up in the community, and we said, you know, here's another thing. So there was three calls for an offering. And whenever we said that, th this one guy, he just got up and left his wife and children in there. You could tell he was angry, and he walked out. And so anyway... I, I'm just warning you right now, this is going to have to do with giving. And so if you want to leave, you know, that's, that's okay because it really didn't bother me when those guys did that. It's just sad because whenever you see someone had that type of reaction, it shows that that person is trying to find security in money rather than in God. And I will tell you, God is the only one that really gives us good security. You can lose all your money. But whenever you trust in Jesus Christ, you aren't going to lose your God. He's going to take care of you. <clears throat> anyway, let me just kind of go over this. and If we can finish this, fine. If we're not, we're going to cut this sermon in half and finish it up next Sunday. But anyway, first of all, I want us to look at this. is how this passage teaches us about how God enables us to deal with all circumstances in our life, whether we're rich or poor or whatever may be going on, whether we're sick or whether we're healthy, whether we are old or whether we are young. 
Whenever Paul was writing this, he was not complaining about his situation. As a matter of fact, he was a prisoner, the courtesy of the state of Rome, and uh, he was under house arrest there as far as we can tell. And he was talking about how there for some time he was not really getting a whole lot of help from some of the churches where he served. But in writing this, one of the things that he wanted to get across to this Philippian church was this, is that they had recently sent him a gift. And he wanted to thank them for it and tell them about how he appreciated it. He wasn't whining because no one else had done it. He wasn't complaining about it. Really, he was just expressing his gratitude that God was taking care of him. And he just said, I have learned in any and all circumstances, or I have learned in whatever situation I'm in, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. In other words, God can enable you to deal with what is, whatever is going on in your life, no matter what it would be. He, he enables you to be strong in riches. He enables you to be strong in poverty. And which one of those two is harder to handle? Well, you might say, well, I don't want to be poor. Well, I've never met anyone that did. But, you know, I've known some people that were ruined by money. You know, I, had, I know I mentioned this to you before about my mother's family. My mother was a Wilkins, and the Wilkins tribe, they moved uh, into East Texas from Georgia and then Alabama. And, and they settled in Upper Russ County and particularly Lower Gregg County. <clears throat> my great, this happened back in the 1850s. Now I had a great grandfather named John Hall Wilkins and John Hall Wilkins was really not a very nice man for quite some time, a large part of his life. And uh, he at one time owned 200 acres of land that shared a property line with Daisy Bradford's place. He owned that before oil was ever discovered. But my great-grandfather, John Hall Wilkins, like I said, was not a very nice man. He had spent a lot of his money on cheap liquor and also on attorney fees when he was tried for murder. And so he sold his land just before they discovered oil on the other side of the fence. <laughs> now, he had four sons. One of them was a steward in the Methodist Church there at Liberty City. One of them was uh, a deacon at Joy Baptist Church, not too far from there. That was my grandfather. One of them was, became a Presbyterian minister, and one of them became a Pentecostal minister. Pentecostal minister was my Uncle Emmett. Uncle Emmett said later in life, he said, I am glad that my father sold all of that. I'm glad that he didn't keep it. He said, because if my father had kept it, I would have been a very rich man. And he said, and I'm afraid that wealth would have drawn me away from God. He realized how tempting wealth is. You hear about people winning the lottery from time to time. You don't hear of many people that are really profited that much for very long. In other words, God enables us to, to deal with the situations in our life. He gives us the ability to be satisfied with little or much and this ability to do this is a learned ability. Notice what he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. The way we learn this, of course, is through Scripture, 
reading what the Bible has to say, reading the promises in the Scripture, and then putting them to the test. We learn this from watching other people and noticing their experience, and we also learn it simply from our very own experience and how that whenever we don't depend upon the Lord, we find out that things don't go as well. We also learn it from our own experience because we find out that once we begin to trust God with material things in our life, He's going to take care of everything else. He really does. You know, back whenever my... <clears throat> Whenever I was about 12 or 13 years old, we, were, we went to a church, it was a Baptist church, and evidently it was having some financial problems, and the pastor there preached on tithing for what seemed like a millennium. I mean, every Sunday we went there, and it was the same thing. And I'll tell you what, this was one of these preachers that could just breathe fire out of his nostrils and singe all the hair off of everybody on the front row. He was getting after it. Back then, at that time, there were a lot of people that they felt like they were doing pretty good on their giving if they gave a dollar a week. I remember this much about that. You know, my dad at that time made $150 a week and he gave a dollar a week. That was what he did. And you figure out the percentage on that, it's not real good. And uh, less than 1%, but that was what they did. And, you know, that was just the custom that people had back then. Now, the preacher kept preaching on tithing, and finally he, he made a call for a commitment from people. And he said, if you cannot trust God with 10%, your tithe, why don't you give 5% or 7.5%? No, to give 5%. How many people will do that? And I remember my parents got up, and they walked down to the front and committed themselves to giving as God had prospered them. I, knew, I remember it. I remember that... that preacher scared the bejeebers out of me too of his preaching and I, I got an allowance of 35 cents a week and I started putting four cents in the offering every week you know I thought man I'm you know I'm kind of padding it a little bit because I'm going above and beyond it's just that I couldn't split splitting a penny was too much work back then but the thing is is that I remember and I remember several years later my dad getting up and giving a testimony about this he said we did this and at the end of the year of giving 5% to the Lord's work, he said, uh, we realized that we had, we were no less, we had no less than we had before. And he said, so my dad said, so I told my wife, he said, Louise, let's give 7.5% for this next year. That's what they did. And he said, once again, we found out that we were not missing anything. As a matter of fact, God had prospered us. And he said, so we started tithing 10%. And he said, and, and God has always taken care of us, and God always did. Even when times were difficult for them, God always took care. Our, <clears throat> this passage teaches us is that wherever God may send us, whatever he sends our way, he is going to give us the ability to survive and to honor him with our lives. Our ability, though, to, to be able to do his will, though, is never found outside his grace. By ourselves, we're as weak as a kitten, and we can stumble, and we can fall, but by his grace, we can leap over a wall, like the psalmist said. We can do everything that God leads us to do. <clears throat> One other thing I'm going to tell you about this is that our giving demonstrates our genuineness. You know, for the people at Philippi, giving was something that they wanted to do. In other words, this was a thing that they wanted. 
He just said, you have revived your concern for me. He said, you were indeed concerned, but you had no opportunity. In other words, he said, you know, I know that you wanted to give to me before, but you didn't have anything to give. In other words, 10% of nothing is nothing. And so he said, so I, I realized that the reason that you give is because that's something that you wanted to do. And it was not the thing that the other churches were doing. He said, you know, this was a... And the reason that they did it was because this was part of their fellowship in the gospel. If you were to look in chapter 1, verse 5 of Philippians, notice that he talks about this. He, he says, he thanks, he said, well, back up to verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In other words, when he talks about their partnership in the gospel, in other words, it was their partnership in his ministry. It was a partnership in the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was what it was about. And that is really what, what goes on with us today whenever we give an offering, whatever it may be. You know, every year, usually our Southern Baptist churches are going to take up an offering for foreign missionaries to support their work. My daughter was a roommate of a young lady when, whenever they were in college. And this young lady ended up getting married as soon as she got out of college. And she and her husband went on the mission field and they're living in Egypt right now. And, uh, and they're witnessing to the, and they're living in an Islamic community and they're witnessing to the people there. And now get this, they're probably safer in that Islamic community than they would be on the streets of Dallas or Houston right now because th those, that Islamic community knows full well these are Christian. This is a Christian young couple. And they just said, you don't worry, we're going to take care of you. We'll protect you. Nobody's going to hurt you. And so I think I would trust them to do that. But every time we give an offering to foreign mission work, we know that we are having some fellowship and some part in the gospel that they are preaching over there. We may not be able to go over there, but we are having a fellowship in the spreading of the gospel in that way. And that's what you do. Whether you're giving to a foreign mission fund or whether you are giving to the ministry of this church or whatever it may be, you have a part and this ministry that is going on. You have a part in the Christian ministry. We all can't do everything, but we all can do something and have some part in the, in the mission that God has for us. Understand this, <clears throat> is that this is something, and, and because that they had this type of, a, of an interest in supporting his mission work, it caused the Apostle Paul to have confidence in their salvation. Notice what we said. Verse 5, we read down through verse 5, talking about their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Why is it that they were eager to have a fellowship in the spreading of the gospel? It's because Jesus Christ had changed their life. Their faith was something that was firm and fixed and that it was, it was a real faith, and it was not something that was going to last for just a little while. You know, they weren't, they, they weren't uh, missionary groupies. These were people who belonged to God, and their giving was an indication of their relationship with God. Think about it this way. If we trust the Lord, we're going to give generously because we know that He can take care of us. If we love the Lord, we're going to give cheerfully 
because we love to give things to people whom we love. It makes us happy. It makes us glad. So, no grumpy giving allowed here, okay? <laughs> Listen, I'm going to tell you this today, and I'll probably tell it to you again in a couple of Sundays. You know, we're talking about you being givers. Giving as God has prospered you. And sometimes people say, well, that, you know, that's all that you preachers want, people to give money. Let me tell you something. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. And God isn't made happy just because you throw a chunk of cash in an offering plate. God doesn't need your money. But I'll tell you what, He demands your soul. He demands your life. And the first thing you need to give to God is your life. Trust in Him for salvation, and He will save you and give you life that's eternal.